Well, this is, uh, we're getting down to the close of John. And uh, this, what we've been doing in John is different little things have happened and then there's sort of these long discourses of Jesus talking about it and explaining it. And the thing that has happened here is that Jesus, at the beginning of the chapter that Steve talked about last week, was he instituted something called communion. And that's a tradition that the church honors where once, you know, sometimes once a month, sometimes every week, just, you know, however, each church has their own way of regularly uh, doing it. But it's that thing that happens when there's like that little cup up there and there's like the bread or crackers or, you know, I don't know, some sort of bread or, I don't know, sometimes it's like a non-gluten, so I shouldn't say bread, but some sort of like crackerish, breadish looking item. And uh, even though Jesus had wine, everyone would kind of you know, don't do that. So, I mean, sometimes people do. Uh, anyways, it's that tradition. And, and you say something, and, there's, and so it's something that happens. But, but this sort of sheds a little light on that, but also on more than that. And if you look at what the name is, the name communion, uh, that, that word's obviously an English word. It's the closest approximation that people have found to what the Greek word is that it's talking about. But what what that word means, and communion means this, but but this Greek word defines it out too. And and, and what it means is having close, intimate interactions with people, sort of a a loving group of people, and having like emotional, uh, you know, thoughtful, sharing thoughts types, interactions with people type thing. And, and so the, what we sometimes miss with, when we think of him instituting that community, it wasn't that he, so much that he instituted the tradition. The tradition was he was instituting some way for us to think about something that he had instituted, but what he had instituted was this group of people uh, these guys, these 12 disciples, they had this, Jesus had brought them into and formed and sort of created this group of folks, and not just the, the 12 disciples, but there was others in that group too, but he had sort of created this group of people where they shared meals together, like here, and hung out together, shared their thoughts uh, were open to each other, uh, you know, people knew who they were. And, you know, we all think about that we, you know, obviously whenever you like move to an area, you think, okay, I kind of got to get that going somehow, <laughs> you know. But out of all the things that we think through in life, we think about, you know, okay, I really need to plan my career out. I need to, you know, make sacrifices to make my career, to get into this school or get into that. I need to, you know, sacrifice, not spend so much money now, so you will set some aside for when I retire and, and this. And, and all that is good, but how little time we spend thinking in that type of way about having a group of people that we're just that close with and we're hanging out with. And we have those feelings of love and, and sharing our deep that know us really well. You know, how is it that when we retire, that's going to be there? <laughs> you know? And, and I'm not saying don't think about all the other things, but I think this passage and Jesus saying, let's just put something into the church to remember something. I, I think part of it, what he's getting at here is, Let's just think about that a little bit. What, what, what does that mean? How do we have that? How, how do we participate in that? How, when at the end, as Jesus is at the end of his life here, that'll be here. And here's the, uh, the first thing that we learn about it. And this is sort of the first thing every single person learns about that group and having those types of feelings. It says, after he had said this, this is setting up the communion, it says, Jesus was troubled in spirit 
and testified, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. Uh, The first thing you learn about that is that it's not going to be without betrayal. It just isn't. Neither God nor Jesus was either able or willing, I don't know, but whatever the case was, they didn't have that without betrayal. And there's no way that you're going to be able to have a group of people where it's not, there's not stuff going wrong. And there isn't stuff happening. Or stuff that makes you feel uncut, or just stuff that's, you know, I don't know how to put it into, I got a, uh, this is going to be a stupid way to put it, put it, but whatever. Uh, I got this text from a friend of mine, an old friend that I've known for probably 40 years. I haven't heard from him in a little while. Uh, I, I knew him in elementary school. He was the younger brother of uh, one of my good friends, uh, but he was as big as all of us. <laughs> he was a big guy, as big as I'm. Uh, uh, you know, I, I can't really, don't feel comfortable like sharing stories about us because, uh, you know, in my circle, I, I was sort of the one who got into trouble. In his circle, he was the one who got into trouble. And so we had a lot in common, and we got to know each other well. <laughs> but uh, I, I will share one thing. After I became a pastor, and, uh, you know, we were working on helping to start a new church here in Berkeley. I had married Karen. I don't know. I think we had one kid, maybe I can't remember, but it was right after we had gotten married. And I got a call from this buddy. He says, hey, I'm in town. I'm all, wow, I haven't seen you in a while. I'll come pick you up. And so uh, I went down, picked him up, and, and we were staying in the family student housing. up. It's not here anymore, but up here at the top of Dwight. And so we're driving up, and uh, we stop at this light, and uh, we're behind this bus, and this guy jumps out of his car and starts yelling at us, and then leaps through the window and tackles me in the car. And when he does that, I, I'm kind of startled because I had glasses on. I usually didn't wear glasses, so he knocks the glasses off. Her, and so I, I took my foot off the brake, and the car just sort of rammed into the back of the bus, and. Uh, and when that happened, it was sort of all disorienting. I mean, you know, it's like the bus people getting on it. It was crowded. People, it was like a huge chaos commotion thing. And then uh, the bus driver comes out, and I'm all, well, oh, this guy, like, jumped through my window. He's all, well, there's no one. The guy had just taken off, got back in his car and took off. And so I looked at him, and he goes, you didn't even get, like, a license? He goes, dude, I was just laughing too hard. <laughs> I was just rolling on the ground. And, and so I come back up. I'm kind of, like, scuffed up. The car's, like thrashed. And so I tell Karen, what happened? And uh, she says, so you're telling me that for no reason whatsoever, but every time you hang out with one of your old friends, something like this happens. For no reason, someone unprovoked, and at the time I was small guy, I was like 185, same height, but my friend was like, you know, bigger than me right now, in a muscular way, not really my type of way, but, uh, but uh, every time someone just unprovoked tackles you and attacks you, and then they just sort of run off. That's what you're telling me. And I'm all, yeah. Goes, okay, that's your story. <laughs> now, obviously, she felt some sort of sense of betrayal, And obviously, I hadn't done anything to deserve that. All I was doing was just hanging out with an old friend. And I honestly hadn't done anything. But I I guess what I'm saying is, is you know, I'm not, I don't know how to put it. That was something Karen and I had to work through, you know. And whether real or imagined, uh, there's plenty of stuff that was real (laughs) that she had to work through with, with me. And me, her, and, you know, vice versa. All I'm saying is is there's going to be a ton of things that just 
you're not even, it's not like, oh, we're just going to have to talk through a lot of stuff. We're just going to have to be open and honest. It's like, yes, all that. But there's going to be plenty of things that like, it's just not going to be really explainable or, you know, or this. It's like, and I'm sure there's, you get what I'm saying. There's going to be things that are just going to require us I don't know how to describe it because I don't want to say that we're just going to be okay with because that's not a good way of saying it. <laughs> it's not that we're going to have to be forgiving them. Yes, that's probably the best way of saying it, but, but it's, I don't know how to put it. There's just going to be things that are there that they've done, that they haven't done, that you think they've done, that isn't really been done, that you've done, that you don't realize that you've done, that, you know, the whole gambit, that's going to be there. And that was there with Jesus, and it had always been there with them from the start. And so how do we navigate that when, you know, how do we have this closeness amongst a group of people that we need, that Jesus is giving us, and deal with, let's just stick with the story, betrayal of that in whatever sense of the word. Here's what happens. Jesus, I mean, you could say the first thing is, is Jesus starts to talk about it. I usually don't like to talk about it, but that's probably a good thing to do. He starts to talk about it. He shares what he's feeling. You know, he feels troubled, and he, so he speaks. <laughs> You know, so often, you know, we can think, we can feel troubled and so we close up and go away and hide or something. He feels troubled and so he speaks. It says, his disciples stared at one another at losses to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him uh, which one he means. And leaning back against Jesus, he leans back against his bosom. They're, laying, they're sitting there close to each other. He says, Lord, who, who is it? And Jesus says, is the one to whom I give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Uh, they asked, he answered. Now, when he does that and Simon leaves, we'll see in a second, they thought, well, we don't really know why he went. Maybe he went to, like, give some money. Maybe Jesus had asked him to do something. It didn't really click into them that he had answered that question. (laughs) There's no real indication that even though they said, who is he? He says, well, it's who I give this piece of bread to, and then he hands it to the person. (laughs) It just doesn't click in. And that's the way it is a lot of times with us, with God. We'll ask God something, and he'll tell us, and we'll go, well, you didn't tell us anything. I mean, that's the way it is with, you know, human relationships too. You'll ask something, they'll give an answer, and then you'll say, well, you didn't say anything to me. You know, we're just not listening a lot of times. Even when we're asking a question and people are giving answers, we're not listening. That, that's part of, you know, betrayal. You know, when you're not listening, you're betraying the love that's there in that sharing and that type of thing. It's another form of that. But how is it that they try and figure out what's going on or try and navigate? It's really interesting because it says that Peter, who is going to become the leader of the group, upon this rock I will build my church, this leader, this is how he leads. He decides to try and figure it out by going to where he, whether correctly or incorrectly, you know, but, but where he sees that the love of Jesus is the clearest. Now, that's not to say that Jesus didn't love him or didn't love anyone else, but just the story is, is the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's who Peter goes to. The one closest to Jesus in a physical sense, that's who he goes to. He goes to, he tries to figure this all out. 
by going to where the love of Jesus is the clearest. And how does that work out? Or why is that? It's really important for us to understand that this group of people, as an example, wasn't put together because of their love for each other. I mean, I'm sure they did come to love each other or have that in some sort of sense. I'm sure they fought a lot, like brothers fight a lot or something like that. But Jesus is the one that pulled them all together. It was Jesus's love for them that pulled them all together. And it wasn't No. How, how do you know where the love of Jesus is? How, how do you see that or, or what is that? You know, a lot of people would say lots of different things. But, but I mean, if you just look at what we historically know about Jesus, the stories that we have here about Jesus, the love of Jesus was seen oftentimes in places where people thought it shouldn't be. Uh, He was hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. The religious people would say, he's a friend of sinners and tax collectors. They they saw the love of Jesus. They could see it really clearly. They just didn't think it should be there type thing. When his, even his own disciples, all of his, a lot of his disciples, that group of people, they were from Galilee. Everyone just thought of Galilee as like the last place in the world you'd want to be. But even amongst the people who lived in the worst place, that like the last place anyone would want to be, when one of them found out, they said about this Jesus, he says, well, he's from Nazareth. Can any good thing come from Nazareth? I mean, even amongst the outcasts, Jesus was the outcast. <laughs> Jesus wasn't like in the popular group of people category. <laughs> you know, there needed to be like, they, the, some letting go of that. I mean, Jesus wasn't raised in a family that had money. He was born, you know, you could say she, she was, she, his mother was pregnant before they were married. He was, when he was born, he was born in a stable, which to us would be like the equivalent of, you know, the place you park your car. His disciples, everyone said, you know, who are these uneducated people? The love of Jesus, if you're looking around at the love of Jesus around you, it's, it's not going to necessarily coincide with what you think is cool or popular or something like that. I mean, what, what am I getting at here? I'll tell one more story. One time I knew a pastor... And he had a great church. I, I actually went and preached there a few times when he was you know, going on vacation. One of the few times that I've been at the uh, church, I mean, usually you go to a church and everyone's very unfriendly. You know, I, I mean, it, it, you think it's just you. It, it, even like a pastor coming in and speaking, you know, usually no one says hi to you and it's just sort of a gruff place. Um, but this place was very different. Everyone was very friendly, very nice. Uh, maybe a little bit poorer on average than than some places, but n- but not much. And uh, I remember he had it in his mind that he. This was back in the uh, I don't know, the nineties. The nineties were was a weird time. And <laughs> uh, anyways, I'll tell you what I mean by that. He he had it in his mind that he wanted to be a pastor of a church of Gen X people. This was back when Gen X, I know it's hard to imagine Gen X being popular. Um, now I, there's another term, which I won't say, to describe the popular people. Uh, so for, for whatever reason, so, so that was funny enough that he just despised the people that he was with because he wanted to be with this Gen X group. But the really funny part is he felt like he needed to leave the Bay Area to move to London 
because that's where the Gen X people were. And I was like, do you know where that term... Anyways, it was just this funny question. The church ended up just, just right being shut down by the denomination, the money taken to do what? To plan a church in a cool area, popular area. So often, you know, when you look at, at Jesus, what he did was he created this group of people to have communion. You, you know where that started? That started at the creation of the world. God created the entire world and he looked at it and everything was perfect in it. He created uh, this guy, Adam. They had the perfect relationship. Nothing was wrong. Every little facet of life between Adam and God was between his career, between everything. Everything was absolutely, there was no other factors that were bad. It was all good except for one thing. He says, it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. And so he created another person. God's been creating communion between people since the very beginning. Because it doesn't matter whether you have everything else squared out in life, even if you could, which you never could, get to a place where everything was perfect, even if you could and you can't make it so that all your relationship with God was perfect, it wouldn't be perfect unless this group was there. But the people that God often gives us, we oftentimes just betray it right off the bat because we just turn our nose up at it and just say, oh, that's not who I want to be friends with. I want to, you know, can't you see? I have a shirt that says, not before coffee. That person doesn't drink coffee. How could I be friends with them? They're a water drinker. There's nothing that we have in common with that person. You might have more in common than what you, and, you know, maybe it's worth just checking out. God put them in your life for some reason. There's not, it's not like I, I love my mom, but the thing I, I, I just drove me crazy about her from the time I was born, literally from the time I was born, I could hear the conversation going as I was coming out of the womb and it was irritating. Everywhere I go, no matter who it is that she passes, it could be the President of the United States. It could be someone on the street. It could be a person writing her a ticket. It could be someone giving her a thousand dollars. It could be anybody. She will find, I guarantee you, if you ran into her, she will find 10 people that you and her both know. <laughs> and no matter what country you come from, she's going to find some convoluted way that we're related in some sort of sense, that we had some sort of great-great-grandmother was married to your uncle type thing. I don't even know how. It's just the most irritating thing possible. But I will give her this. At least she's looking for things that she might have in common with someone. That's more than I do with stuff. A lot of times... The thing that's wrong starts with just we have these grandiose ideas of who we think we are and who we think we can relate to and who we think needs to be in that group and who we can trust most and who we can share these intimate coffee feelings about and, you know, what kind of coffee and things like that. And and we just... A lot of times the betrayal is just right up front. But, but Jesus has people that he's putting in our lives. 
And he's not asking for us to be perfect or for them to be perfect. A lot of times it just is along the lines of the gospel. The only requirement is to just start saying yes. <laughs> just give it a shot. And it, there's going to be a million things, real or imagined. But Jesus is the one working through it. Now, now, sorry, I took way too much time on that. The, the most important point on that is, is the way that John describes himself, because he's the one who's writing this. He describes himself as, not as John. The only descriptors that he get, gives is one, the disciple. In other words, I'm a person that's a part of this group. His only de- defining factor is I'm a part of this group And he says, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that he had a sense of Jesus' love for him. And it sounds like I'm saying, you know, you can't love other people until you love yourself type thing. That's actually not true whatsoever. (laughs) But what John is saying is, is, of all the things that I might contribute to this group. Of all the things about me that might fit with someone else, of all the things, the most important, really the only thing that matters is I've come to understand that Jesus loves me. And he's not even going to define himself by his own name. He's not going to define himself by his shirt that says, I drink coffee. He's not going to define himself by, I'm a fisher person. He's defining himself by, I'm in this group, and I know that Jesus loves me. Where where can you find the love of Jesus? You really find it first in your own life. And part of it is, is we're asking, he's answering, and we're not getting it. He's giving us his love is seen. It's not just about... I need some cash. His love is seen in the group that he's giving us. That's the thing that really matters. That's the thing. If you had perfection but didn't have that, it wouldn't be perfect. And he's giving it, but we're just not seeing it. And we're not seeing it because there's this root problem, this betrayal. Uh, Here's where... He goes from there. It says, well, I'll hit on this very quickly. Sorry, I'm taking so long. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. That's a crazy notion to think about. At the very least, generally, what's happening there, he's probably been thinking about this for a while. The betrayal is about him in general, thinking about that he needs to move in this direction. People talk about, well, what was he thinking? Maybe he was thinking this was going to help things out, maybe usher things in, maybe provoke Jesus to do this. To, you know, Who knows what, but whatever it was, is he felt like he needed to push things in this direction. And Satan entering into him You know what happens a lot of times when we're in, there's people we love, even if there's, well, whatever. Even if at the very beginning we feel like this is something that I need to move in a different direction from. A lot of times we'll feel justified in that. Justified in moving away from rather than towards. That justification isn't always coming from God. There's lots of things pushing us to feel justified and uh, pushing off all the people that don't drink coffee. It says, Jesus told him, and I have to say, I've started drinking coffee, so it's not like I'm bashing coffee people. I, I bet you I spend like more money at, well, it's sad to say, Pete's. I guess I'm not a coffee drinker, maybe, but like I guess pizza's like the entry level. Yeah. Or, 
Not Starbucks, I don't think. That's something else. Um, it says, whatever you do, sorry, whatever you do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood what Jesus had said this since Judas had charge of the money. Some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed at the feast or to give something to the poor. And as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. It says, and when he was gone, Jesus says, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. Uh, it's a large section where it's a little bit confusing, but you can tell he's talking about what is the glory of God. And it's very clear that he's referring to his death on the cross. And he starts it off again with this saying, the Son of Man. And it gives sort of uh, um, a synopsis of a train of thought. That the glory of God was when God was here, would come and visit Adam in the garden. And even though he was with Adam, Adam was alone. So he created some other people. And, of course, we took that in a bad direction, betrayal and all that. But what God did was, instead of staying as a coffee drinker, he came down and became a water drinker. Does that make sense? Like, instead of just saying, well, I guess we just don't have anything in common. You're a horrible person, and I'm God above. He... Became, he like came in by force into this world and actually became a human being to solidify that connection to say, okay, now we're in the group together. I'm a part of your group here. And he did that even though he knew that him coming into our group was going to mean us betraying him and killing him And he just said, well, if that's what you're going to make it take, I guess. It was that important. He gave his life. He says, greater love has no one than this, that one give up his life for his friends. That's this group of people, one of which was his betrayer, one of which they're they're all. You're going to see Peter here in a second. Um, I'll make this quick. You know, when, uh, uh, let's just say for the sake of argument that, uh, that you have a kid. Maybe you don't. But let's just make it really wacky and say, you've had triplets. Now, I don't know if you know what that means. That means your life is over. <laughs> it, uh, look, Every time I'll try and explain. Every time someone has a kid, the natural feeling is is like, "Whoa, where did I go? <laughs> My, who I am is like gone, kind of like you said." Or you know, you get married and you feel like you've lost your sense of identity or something like that. Or you decide to talk to a water drinker and now you feel like, "Man, where's my? I had that shirt that talked about coffee. I'm losing." The, the depth of who I am here that I'm, I'm sacrificing that, you know, that something about that. Whether real or imagined, or you'll know that you're entering into a loving relationship by the fact that you're feeling like you're giving your life up. You can't enter into a loving relationship I mean, you're not going to be able to enter into a loving relationship without there being, of course, people are going to betray. But you're also, the the thing to remember is, is you're really not giving anything up. If you feel like you gave up your cup of coffee, you need to realize Jesus is the one that gave you that cup of coffee is all you did was give his cup of coffee away. Jesus is the one who's bringing us together. Jesus isn't requiring 
that, that we be perfect to have a relationship with him, even though we're betraying him constantly, and we'll see it even in the case of Peter, he's working that out. And he's the one who's doing what it takes, and he's the one who's sacrificing And then he says to them, a new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Uh, It's very clear in the Gospels when people would ask about this, they would all say, "Uh, here's the summation of the Bible, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love your neighbor yourself. Everyone there was aware of the fact that you know, to have a loving group of people or whatever, you need to love, right? It's not like a revolutionary thing. So in what way is what Jesus saying, he says, this is, I'm saying to you, new and fresh. In what way is he saying this is new and fresh? He says, as I have loved you. In other words, he's saying, I'm not saying this in the way that everyone else is saying it, that you need to be a good person, you need to figure out what's right and wrong towards everyone, and that you need to not betray people and that. He's saying, you're just never going to do that. He says, so I'm not saying that. I'm saying it new and fresh. I'm saying, take a look at what I'm doing in terms of that, that I'm the one who's working those things out for us. What he's saying is, is start looking around at what Jesus is doing, who Jesus is putting it through, and look at how Jesus is working those things out. I, uh, well, let me finish this off and then. It says, Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus said, where I'm going, you cannot follow now but you will follow. He says, you're not able to follow me right now. In other words, he says, give this new commandment. He says, you're, you're just not able to. But you, you will later, he says, but, but you will follow later. And Peter says, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll, I'll lay my life down for you. And Jesus says, will you uh, really lay your life down for me? Question mark. He says, very truly, I tell you before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. The whole story is about betrayal. It's not just Judas. What Jesus is saying is, look, you're not really going to be able to grab a hold of this group until you see what it is that I'm doing. You're not really going to grab a hold of... uh, the people that I'm putting, you're going to constantly be thinking these aren't the right people <laughs> until you understand something. And he says, this is what you need to understand. And after that, you know, you'll be on your way towards maybe figuring it out. He says, you'll disown me. You think that you would give your life for me. That's your view of yourself and your view of your ethics and your view of of how much you love and care for me and your view of how worthy you think you are to be in this group and your view of yourself. But once you not realize but see the truth, like this event happens where you disown me three times in one night, then maybe you'll have a better idea. Maybe you'll be able to see what I'm doing a little bit better. Maybe you'll come to appreciate this group that what he's saying is we're just the best thing that you could do to grab a hold of what's the most important thing in life. If you take the story of creation as any indication, the most important thing of life itself is God bringing people around us into this group. It's not just love the Lord your God with all your heart as Adam was in the garden, but the addition to that of I'm going to, you need some extra people around. <laughs> and that second part, love your neighbor is just having a neighbor. The most important thing of that we think is the first 
way that commandment is expressed, the, the way that the Adam and Eve wanted it to be expressed when they listened to the devil and ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They wanted it to be expressed in a way like with God where they know what's right and they know what's wrong and then they're able to live and have a group and have love and have a relationship on that basis. And God never intended for it. We weren't, that just wasn't ever going to happen. And since then, the result of us wanting to have has just been destruction and betrayal. But God's giving a new commandment, a new way, and that way is through Jesus. And that way is Him coming down and being one of us, Him fulfilling that and doing that for us, Him dying on the cross to make our relationship right and it brings us to forgiveness. And I, I'll just share one story in closing. You know, one time when I was uh, 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 younger, quite a bit younger, uh, I had a problem with a family member. This is, I just started going to church, and maybe this guy had like prayed for me or something like this. This is an older guy. And this particular church that I came back to was, uh, I don't know, for whatever reason, it was one of those odd churches where everyone was like a former addict or something like that. But, so anyways, so they were in your business a little bit. (laughs) But uh, he knew that I had this trouble and knew, as I had said before, I really hadn't done anything wrong, but we were at odds and the relationship had kind of ended. And he told me, you know, sometimes you need to say you're sorry even though there's nothing for you to be sorry for. And that really outraged me. (laughs) It outraged my sense of righteousness and, you know, my sense of, you know, well, if you're going to make an apology, then you really need to feel that you, blah, blah, blah. But it just stuck in my grow for some reason until finally it's just like, whatever, I'm just going to do it. You know how that is when you just sort of feel something and you really just don't want to do it. Maybe it's to say you're sorry to someone or this or that. You kind of want to like work it all out so that they understand that like they're the ones who need to say sorry to me. But you just kind of have this like Jiminy Cricket feeling of, you know, this nagging sense. It's just like, okay, I'm just going to do it. And, but I also knew that like I wasn't going to be able to get out from under that feeling unless I like really did it said, I'm sorry. You know, if I, I, I knew if I said, well, I'm sorry that you feel upset, <laughs> you know, that that wasn't going to be like, I wasn't going to walk away. It was still going to hang there for me. So I mustered it up and I just said, hey, you know, I'm really sorry. And thankfully, the person didn't really like press into it or whatever, because I don't know that I could have handled that. <laughs> and they just said, you know, thanks for telling me. They didn't say, I'm sorry, too, or anything like that. It was just like, thanks. And things really turned around at that point. And now I have a, a friend and that family member that, that I, that, you know, when you talk about a family member, there, there's nothing more obvious than who gave you your brother or who gave you your sister or something like that or who gave you this person. God did. <laughs> You didn't go out and choose that person. You, know, you could say Satan did. No, <laughs> you can't really say that. Satan doesn't, can't give life. <laughs> what, I don't know that. The reason why I'm bringing this, that up is way too much is made out of like, oh, I've just asked for the forgiveness of my sins and I've asked, I've repented. It's, I mean, we really are not capable of completely grabbing a hold of feeling sorry (laughs) or repentance (laughs) or our need for forgiveness. We can sometimes grab a hold of it for a short period of time. (laughs) 
Jesus isn't demanding full compliance on that front. He's not just going to keep pressing into you on it. But some sort of sense of realizing that we've disowned him three times. There's no record, I don't think, maybe I'm wrong, that Peter ever said, I'm sorry to Jesus. But it's pretty clear Jesus was offering him forgiveness. It's pretty clear he felt something. You know, he felt a little sheepish when Jesus showed back up. It's not like you have to make a big deal out of it and have this ceremonious occasion where there's been someone saying, I'm sorry, and then forgiveness has been imparted from above. You know, it's not like it's this ceremonious act that happens. It's, it's kind of like an attitude type thing. It's not, I'm not saying, I'm not saying like, oh, no one ever needs to communicate and that it's not, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that repentance and the reason why the gospel is so important and the reason why seeing that God is the one who's giving us this is because one, we're just not able to figure out who we're going to fit in best with. Just because we've decided for some reason we're a coffee drinker doesn't mean that that's the best group of people. Just because we think we have this image of ourself as this person, that doesn't mean that's a correct image. (laughs) If we want to have it, a lot of it comes down to just saying yes. And that's going to mean yes over and against whatever it is that you think they are or they represent, over and against whatever betrayal they have, over against our own sense of things. And how can you do that over and against all of that stuff and set that to, how can you possibly do that? You can only do that if you have this confidence or gaining a confidence that Jesus is going to work things out that Jesus is capable of. And the confidence that we have that Jesus can work this out is that he worked it out between us and God. And if he can work it out between us and God, he can work it out between us and anybody. And it took someone dying for it to happen, and he did that. It's going to take coming at it from a safe place. And how are you going to come at it from a safe place? How, how can you just let yourself out there to be open to the kind of betrayal that we're going to experience within these close groups? How can we stay open to that kind of betrayal? Because that's going to happen. I guarantee you it's going to happen. The only thing that will help is what John says. I'm just the disciple whom Jesus loves. I, I don't know. You know I was like, I'm sure he loves everybody else, but I'm just, there's a root of confidence that's there to just know that Jesus loves me. Jesus cares about me. Jesus is in the, this group with me with these other bozos that are running around trying to chop people's heads off and everything. You know, like, I don't know, Whatever. Jesus is willing to give his life for me. And God the Father gave it back to him and made it right. God the Father raised his son that's in my group that loves me, raised him from the dead. And these aren't just words. They're realizations that we... that. There's things in life that we look at and we say, I, I see that. You know, there should be things in our life. If you don't feel like Jesus loves you, then you don't. And it's not don't muster it up, but at least check it out and start seeing. And what the promise is, is that 
if you're open to it, if you're willing to say yes, you will come to the place that John came to to say, Jesus loves me. You know, I don't understand all this stuff about him dying on the cross, blah, blah, blah. You know, perfectly fine. <laughs> Disciples didn't understand any of that business either. He's not saying that. He's just saying, if you're willing to just say yes, I'm going to bring you to a place where you will understand. It's not about becoming a perfect person. It's about being brave enough or not even brave enough, but just not even honest enough, but just saying yes to the fact that each of us is going to disown him three times by the end of the night type thing. But this group isn't based on any of that. It's based on people that God has brought. There's a something that Jesus says about marriage. He says, therefore what, what God has joined together, let no one put under. What, what he's saying is, is we start all these relationships up with everyone else saying, I love this person, I love that person, this is happening because I love this, and you know, we're getting married because we're both coffee drinkers. <laughs> At a certain point, that's not going to get you through. What he says is understand God's the one who puts you together. And he's not just talking about marriage. He's talking about the church. He's talking about your life, people that you're meeting at school or at work. There's people that God has put in your life. And it's not to like look down on them and think, you know, oh, I need to be their witness or this. Whatever. It's He's put in your life to have a loving, caring, to have this communion with. And them coming to understand that Jesus loves them is as important to them as it is for us, for you. Understanding that Jesus gave his life and coming to see that and them coming to say, yes, that is as important it is for me in that road. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we just uh, thank you so much for everything that you've done for us. I, I pray, Lord, that this week you would make really evident to us uh, different people that you've put into our life and just bring us to a place of at least just giving them a shot and just saying yes in some sort of sense and, and letting go of whatever reasons we think we shouldn't be friends with them. But Lord, please let us just say yes to you more than anything. And I pray that this week you would really make your love to us. I, I don't even know how to say it, Lord, because you make your love to us so well known, but we're just not listening. I, I pray that somehow you would just give us eyes to see and ears, to, that you would just do a miracle in our life to give us this week uh, the sight to see the love that you have for us. And I pray that we would come to understand uh, the trust that we have in you and you making things right. And Lord, please give us communion with you and your family. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.